Welcome to the Back of Pushes, the greatest data networking podcast in the world today. Well, maybe not in the world, but it is a data networking podcast. And once again, we're coming to you live from IETF 96 in Berlin uh, because I had a very generous invitation and I've been dragged along to see the internal operations of the IETF and to see uh, just what it's like on the inside. But one of the things that is exciting me about the work that's being done at the IETF, and there's lots of things to be you know, lots of eye-opening experiences, which I'll talk about others, is what there's a, a whole chain of work coming out of a working group on I2RS. Now, I2RS is interface to the routing system. And the fundamental idea here is that you want to be able to put an API on top of an operating system and to be able to get entries into the ribs and the fibs. But it's not as simple as it sounds. So joining me today to talk to us about I2RS is Sue Hare. Sue, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I, I'm really interested in IR2S. In fact, I'm a co-chair of IR2S Working Group and I've been pushing at it. The real challenge is can we really change the way that uh, interfaces the uh, routing system work so that in the mm. world of virtual uh, routing processes that you can go fast and actually handle a quick interface to the routing system. So I'd like to chat a little bit about that. How about you, Russ? Oh, I'm fine, but you didn't tell anybody about yourself, Sue. Oh, about myself. Hmm. <laughs> I've been in the internet. Uh, I, I get so excited about the technology. What, what's useful about me, you know? That's true. Nobody I, cares I, about you. Know, you. Who cares about that? <laughs> but um, I uh, started in the internet after having worked in a large network uh, for about 15 years. Yep. And so then I became uh, one of the initial founders of the internet in the NSFNet project. Beyond that, I've founded a routing switching software company, so I know how you have to make the the fun routing software. <laughs> and I've been in, working in standards for BGP and for over um, 30 years. So, you know, all these mistakes are sometimes mine, and I'd like to fix them. You've been a customer, you've been a developer for a vendor, and now you've been on the other side. I've been a customer, I've, been a ven- I've, I've worked for a vendor, and... Um, mm-hmm. It's, and it's operated. nice to meet you because we've done a couple of shows together in the past. Mm-hmm. We talked about various esoterica. So it's actually nice to see you face to face. It's not often we do that. It's the joys of the internet. We don't actually have to see each other's faces. My yep. mind's not very pretty. It's particularly joyful for me in your case, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's easy to see me. Uh, they say I'm, a, I'm the little fast moving tennis shoes with the pink laces. So. And that voice over there is Russ White. Please quickly summarize things, Russ. Oh, hi, everybody. You know me by now. We got Greg here to look at how they make sausage. <laughs> and we've now decided that we are going to do the excited thing of um, we're going to add BFD to BGP because That's everything right. else is there. It shouldn't be a separate process. It just no, should be no, all in one. It should just be part you of know, Once you have link state in BGP, what, what right, else? Right, well, what why else? not go to just, BFD? Just add BFD there. That's it. And we're just going to convert all of our networks to a single Maybe protocol. Maybe that's another be show. Much simpler. Be, that that <laughs> yeah, should be another show. Layer after layer, you know? Layer, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure why we have all these routing protocols, but you get rid of them all and just... That's right. BGP, just everything. BGP. Just BGP yeah, for just everything. Just database to database over a big BGP. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. In fact, we don't even need RTRS. Right. Why are we even doing this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think so we can give applications a chance to use BGP. <laughs> there you go. Because BGP has to be everywhere. <laughs> okay, so I2RS, interface to the routing system. Let's start with a quick bit of background, right? Today, we have a BGP process. The BGP process starts, it contacts its neighbours, builds up a, uh, a, a rib, right? It collects route announcements from its neighbours. It collect, does its own stuff locally. You know, we add the static database, the router stat 
static routes, and then they get loaded into the FIB. Right? That's how we do it today. That's how you load it. You load PGP either from static routes or you sneak it in from one of those other routing protocols. There's four-letter protocols. OSPF and And so that data goes into a thing called a RIB, routing information base. And See, we've got to get down to less than four letters. You know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the ETLAs and TLAs. And so then, that, that ri- then eventually there's a process inside the router to load the data yes. from the RIB into the FIB. And the FIB is... For most people, it's actually a piece of silicon. It's, it's mm-hmm. the hardware inside of a router. But in a virtual switch it's, uh, or a virtual appliance, it's they, we start, need to start thinking about those as well, right? And that's what's really important because in, in, in reality, what matters is how you actually get things into the forwarding agent. Mm-hmm. Routing is just an application that you sort of tack on side. It should be the fib is the dog and the routing is the little tail that wags behind it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> well, and you can have multiple ribs. Like this, just covers some of the exactly basics, right? right? There's an OSPF table. Let's say you're running OSPF or ISIS. But then, right? But then you actually build verse virtual routing instances or virtual routing and forwarding instances. And each one of those has a rib. Well, no. Then OSPF, ISIS, BGP can actually feed each of those different routing tables. Right. So you know when you pull a packet in off a wire and you bring it in through your ASIC and you do your interrupt and all that other stuff. You can actually determine which verf you're going to forward out of, so that rib is, you know, as it has a corresponding fib for mm. each one of those forwarding tables, which we're going to eliminate by just going to BGP. Oh, sure, absolutely. But <laughs> right now we have BGP uh, living in each of those verfs. Maybe BGP will become like a yes, a, a super verf. Uh, well, the blob that keeps yeah, the right. blob. <laughs> so, so the goal of I2RS is to put an API around this process fundamentally. Up until now, people have, a lot of the times in SDN solutions, you have the BGP table. So what people do is they get the CLI and they start adding static routes. And that's how they start to add entries to the FIB is a static route, which is redistributed into BGP, which then goes down to the FIB. Or maybe static routes directly to the FIB. Yeah, usually you have static routes directly to the RIB and then mm. the RIB then goes to the FIB, right. Yeah. Right, and but, BGP is is engaged with rib exchange, but it, along with policy, and so it's really important that you look at that I I two RS has both insertion in the rib and it has a a filter based rib, which is the replacement of BGP's policy, right? Because that's the forwarding filter. So those yeah, or are closer the, to policy based routing, if you're familiar with that type of work. So what thinking. you're saying there is I have, maybe I have a BGP route being announced by neighbor. It has a community attached to it. And I might choose to filter on that community and say, if, if I have routes with this community, I change their weight, I change their metric, or maybe I drop them completely out of the table. Is that right. the sort of policy? It would be from a BGP perspective. Yep. I2RS would actually allow you to, rather than doing all of that, you can actually, from an outside controller, just simply say, I want to override the route that BGP has installed mm. with something different, whatever it might yep. happen to be. And with, you can say, I'm going to filter these things. So instead yes. of going at the routes that uh, distribute all the forwarding information, you're being able to go directly to the forwarding engine through the RIB right. and through the filters that forward. So you can filter based on sources, addresses, sources, whatever, yeah. things like that, yes. And tuple, and way. Right. So it's really giving you an open pipe to the what the hardware is doing. Right. Because in reality, who cares? I, I, not to be a, no. Routing is just an application that helps us get our traffic through the network. Yes. Um, I know that's heresy from... I, heresy no, from no, a it's routing fine, case. actually. You know, that's, well, that's, I think there's a change here, right? Over the last five years ago, it would have been, you know, routing is a, an inherent feature of a networking box, right? Routing and switching is, you know, magic thing that happens inside the black box. 
you know, Igor throws the big switch and a packet comes out the port according to what we do. But these days we're starting to think of routing software as apps on side on the box. Right. right? And the right. operating system is different. And that's yeah. new, right? It's called, it's called disaggregation. Yes. That's what we would call it, right? Disaggregation. But some of us started thinking this in 1995. And yeah. because it's really important to be able to, to expand to get faster forwarding and faster and, and better policy... Because in the end, that's what applications want. And today we have applications that, that uh, grow up, birth, and die within four months. Mm. And so they have certain needs. We shouldn't be having routing have next year... Five-year gestation cycles for you know, new features. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Sue, I would call you a gray beard for that 1995 remark, but you don't have a beard. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a sexist remark for a gray beard anyway. <laughs> That's a feature, it's not a bug. That's a feature, not a bug. So, so the use case for this is, I think the one I've heard most talked about is we can immediately start to use it in data centers where you're using BGP as a protocol in an ECMP spine. So yes. you would use, and the most common use case is you use BGP to propagate most like a standard forwarding table in the in the devices themselves, or, or ISIS, or, or OSPF, or, or whatever. It's not just BGP specific. Yeah, whatever you want to. It doesn't right. matter. But this allows you to to take some sort of centralized controller or some sort of wave of having a logic in the top, like Google has hmm. in in some of its backbone, and actually have waves. You know, I'm going to calculate here and then distribute to a thousand right. here and ten thousand here. And and that actually puts the power of servers. Yes. So to work. so you're not going to rewrite every path in the network no. immediately, but you might want to pick out ten percent of your traffic flows right. of it's your flows. Especially right. been been looked at for things like denial of service if you want to reroute, or mm. if I come up and I have a, a, a flow of traffic, I call that my going to the soccer game. Right. For, for, for right. Your so, right. The DDoS takes you outside of the data center to the provider edge. Yes. Or right. you might have an, an elephant flow. Right. Right. Yes. So there's some someone's kicked off some sort of job. Right. And it's generating far more traffic than everybody else. And because it's an elephant flow, it's right. saturating an ECMP leg on the spine. And so you want to reprogram that in some. Right. You know what? Might want to say move all the other traffic away from this port to make yes. sure that's not killing. The, the, the micro flows or the smaller flows. Yes. Or you might have mouse flows that aren't loading a port heavily enough, you know, like right. not, that there's bandwidth unused. So you might want to say, or you might want to say, I've got Hadoop traffic. I want to give it the highest, you know, th- this path because this is the path I specifically want it to have. And it's not about cost policy, right? I2RS gives us access to cost handling or not? You mean as far as cost for uh, the link? Yeah, or no, you know, it's an through the buffers. of where it's going, but it's, you can have. Uh, cost associated with the filters, yep. meaning policy. Sometimes the question is, how much does it cost to get the cost policy? Yes. A policy, if I want to go to the supermarket and I'm going to take five taxes, that's a cost. Yes, that's right. So you're really talking about the f- policy around establishing that rib. No, you're now just yes. putting the stuff in the rib. Yeah, but I'm not saying, what I'm saying is there's no cost policy attached to this process. I can't dynamically change the quality of service policy for buffer, buffer management. Um, actually, with can. I2RS, you can. Okay. Right. Yes, you can actually go out and modify your, your queuing. QoS. Because yeah, that's your QoS part of your, structure or whatever if you want right. to as because well. Your filter, when you put in the filter, it's not just a, 
oh, I'm filtering and, and keeping out data. I'm filtering and changing things and doing something. Right. Well, this also walks into So this is part of the match action. So a fib fundamentally comes down to match and an action. Right. That's correct. Right. It's fundamentally an event action. Right. So anything that I can match in the fib, so match is source IP, dest IP, source port, destination port. You know. Or it could be it could be the time that it comes in, right? Yeah, yep. Anything that you can, anything that talks about how you send traffic can be both matched on and altered, right? But that's just the network, right? That, that's just. A, so, but I'm just clarifying because it, um, we, we're talking a lot about ribs and fibs, which you think, oh, well, I'm just changing the routing or the pathing information. But what you can also do is you can say fundamentally in the forwarding plane, it's always match action. That action could be egress out of port two. Or it could be rewrite the quos header from you know, EF to DSCP31 and let it go. Or it could be this stuff is, is potentially bad DOS traffic. Copy it off to a, Loop a, back zero. a, a, a tracker. So it's, it's really the full capability, the full capability of or, any... Or um, impose a set of labels for segment routing. Okay, right, right? Yep. which is another and, action. Yes, there's any number action. of possible actions, right. and the actions will be determined by the capability of the forwarding plane. Right. And, but you now, whether that's cross VLAN tagging, MPLS tagging, right. VXLAN tagging, it doesn't really matter. All of those are just actions to find. I2RS gives me access to all of those. It gives you an action, and it actually gives you more power that's in, than in the routers today because it gives chains of, of, of these tags. You can say, okay, now I'm going to go from here mm. to. Um, England with uh, MPLS, and then I'm going to tag it, and I'm going to go through these many next stops across. The so I could start to do weird things like uh, packet comes in off my MPLS backbone. I rip the MPLS packet off, and then drop a segment routing header in because that's how I'm using segment routing inside of my data yeah. center fabric. Yes, sure. and then you could go beyond that and say mm. uh, I'm chained to um, an IP uh, GRE tunnel, and mm. it's here, and then I'm going to go five hops that it's just within the general internet. Hmm. And that's all specified by saying, hi, this is identified next top sequence. You know, this hmm. pathway is next top yeah. sequence 10. And it's a build-up thing, just as if you had a stack of cards and said, you know, this is where hmm. you're going to go, and you hand someone like that. Yep. It's that easy. It's a number that says go. And I think a key point of this is we're not trying to replace the routing protocol with I2RS. Yeah. This is all augmenting the routing protocol. So mm -hmm. this is actually SDNs for real. Oh, yes. did I say that? Sorry. Well, you didn't say that. <laughs> well, I, think, <laughs> I think I've been saying this for a while. Is OpenFlow fundamentally taught us that everything in networking inside the device is match and action. Now, OpenFlow might not have been the right data structure, right? Yes. But the thing or that we protocol. Or, <laughs> yeah, arguably, right? I, I believe in networking that all things come, come back in time, right? And we'll probably end up with OpenFlow eventually or a very close version of it. RFC 1925, Rule 11, right? But the fundamental thing is that what we learned was match action. Every, every networking device packet comes in or frame comes in, we match it and then we do an action to it and then it egresses the box. Everything that we do with SDN is fundamentally about making that happen. And we've always done it before with routing, because routing was always match this destination IP address, send it out that port, right? That was the match and action that was mm -hmm. being done. Now we're getting into the point with I2RS where we're actually being much more granular about how we can control it. And that's really important when you start looking at applications, which, you know, you have your general routing for something, but let's say I come up with a really hot application. Mm. Uh, what is it, Pokemon today that my kids are yeah, talking Pokemon about? Go. And, and, and so, but, but look at what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we, we get to a certain point and then we get some sort of traffic. Yeah. 
and and that's an application that's suddenly gaining new paths. Do you need to have mm. a path to wherever that Pokemon piece is at the time? <laughs> you just basically, but if someone's coming, if 30 people are coming down with their little cell phones yes. trying to get the data, you now have a different data thing. Yeah. By the way, that doesn't have to be Pokemon. It could be, Netflix. let's say someone has a heart attack at a, yeah. at a, a soccer yeah. game. Mm. And an application is trying to direct the... The emergency response. And so it's really... I'm taking fun things, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, but the big difference here is that between OpenFlow, since you brought up OpenFlow and I2RS is... Mm. <clears throat> OpenFlow is really talking directly to the FIB. Right. I2RS is talking to the rib. And letting the device do the load from the FIB. Right, exactly. To the FIB. Which yep. means that you leave your traditional routing in place, mm. whereas with OpenFlow, you're actually replacing your routing entirely. Yeah. And which, your rib and everything underneath it or above it. Yep. Right. Which puts a lot more risk into the existing networks and doesn't let you do instrumental deployment where you need it. Again, right. think about a, a, an application that comes, lives, and dies with, you know. Yeah. How long will Pokemon really be the thing? Probably yeah. less so than ultimately six it gives me a tool. I mean, the immediate use case is it gives me a tool to find. There's always 5, 10, 20% of my traffic which gets special papal blessing. It's something critical in my WAN. It's something critical in my data center. And it needs to be handled special. And then ultimately, that trivial amount of traffic, that 5 or 10%, is the thing that kills us because we go around building complexity into our routers like policy-based routing or WCCP for transparent redirect or private VLANs or, you know, any number of these wacko features that we've got. This is a way of doing all of those without any of the pain that we built up around those legacy features. Is that? That is correct. Yeah. And that's that was the whole design is it's time to let program, you know, the the programming power of the applications that are going to handle that very specific mm. new traffic and let it let it just get to the rib because yes. that's where it needs to be and then then inside the device but i think this is really important here is the rib then the operating system of the device and however the device wants to so for any device anywhere whether it's you know vendor x vendor y whether it's a virtual appliance that internal operating system decides how to get things out of the rib into the fib because the FIB is, for hardware, it's silicon, and in the case of virtual appliances, it's whatever the code is that's running there. So everything from your cell phone mm. has a, a RIB to the largest forwarding thing in, in, the, in a, a provider or mm. in a data center. That's power, yeah. right? That says you can do, if you can get to the right place, you can change it. If it's just, you know, looping a few phones together or if it's looping massive, creating massive mm. patterns of data center. Important if you have something like big data and you're suddenly going from one place to another with all that data, maybe you want to just create a path because you're looking at yes. calculation. It's it's putting the power where it should be. Right. So how do we do the programming of I2RS? What is it just a case of, you know, is it REST, is it JSON, is it First of all, it's data driven. Right. Uh, data model driven, excuse me, not data driven mm. specifically, but data model driven which says we're modeling what we want to do, we're, and we're letting the data model drive the protocol. We're not saying what are the bits and bytes on the wire, we're okay. saying what's the data structures you want to communicate with that rib? How do I put a route there? How do I give that complex next hop? Yep. How do I say, oh, it's a new VRF? How, how do I say it's uh, V4 versus V6? By making it data model and focusing on the data model, we're really being able 
to say, maybe we invent a good protocol this year, maybe next year it's not a good protocol. Doesn't matter. What matters is what you're doing. You know, it's a lesson from application. It's, right. it's what data do so you So this want is a radically different from the way we've designed protocols before. So OSPF, the routing data is contained in the packet format that OSPF says over protocol 89, right? And there's no data modeling. It's just this is the packet format. Well, no, there, there is a data model. Yeah. But in OSPF, it's a fixed format data model. In no. ISIS, you have TLVs. But if you think in ISIS or BGP, how you have a TLV number, that TLV number, number one says, or number three in the case of OSPF says, this is aggregation traffic. But you don't have like an HTML or XML where you actually have a markup language that tells you, oh, look, you know, not only is this a type three, but it actually describes what a type three is. When you get to data modeling languages, what you end up with is mm. um, like XML and things like this. You end up actually describing the data in a way that instead of just saying there's a table someplace that says type three means this, yeah. you're actually describing what the data is. So the metadata about the data is actually contained in the data model itself. And that makes it extremely flexible. Right. And so you can also have dynamic models. So every yes. time you update, you can tell the router if you... The, the possibility is there that you can send a data model from the SDN controller and say, I'm going to send you data in this format. And the route, the networking device can then either push back and say, I can't support that format, or I only support these parts of that format. That's right. And yep. so that way you can say... From the rib, I support these very complex going from MPLS to such, and, or I don't. Maybe I don't support VXLAN encapsulation. Right. I've got an older device that isn't able to support that in the silicons, so it pushes back and says, I don't do VXLAN. I can't, I can't do that. And that's the whole beauty of mm. going to a data modeling language. Mm. And we can see easily with the interface to the FIBS how this actually works well. We can see that it works well for the routes that says where to go. We can say... Mm -hmm. It also works well for the packet filtering. Right. We're going to filter here. We're going to do this action, match action. Yeah. If it's self-describing, we don't have to think of everything right now. Right. And that's the beauty of a, of a data modeling. So right today there. we say, you know, if this match this packet and an access control list says drop, maybe the, in the years to come we'll have some other action like punt to yes. a container. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we have today because not too many devices have containers and we don't say punt a container. Well, for, you, you, know, you pick one case that's one of my favorite, which is if you're in a medical in industry and suddenly you go across a border. Oops, I've got a filter. Mm. I'm going to pop it into a repository. I can't take this medical payment data out of Germany. Right. I've got a, And so I'm going to pop it in there and then determine what you want to do with it. Right. Well, it's not lost. You haven't. You just haven't broken the law by delivering it. So right. it's a whole different, you know, see the, the possibilities, as, as some people say, are endless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which uh, I must quietly say sometimes when given enough rope to hang yourself, people just hang themselves. Yes. But sometimes flexibility, we also call this flexibility, yeah. but the other side of flexibility is also complexity. Stupid things can happen when people start to do stupid things. They, but, you know. That's, that's, but that's. That's the thing. We're, we're trusting people who are going to be able, who are going to engage this or are allowed to be using this in the network. Mm. Again, there's a policy thing. Only certain customers can do it. Only, uh, you know, and there's a, if Russ is the uh, CEO and I'm not as, as, as uh, capable, he might have a, a higher priority to set up these routes and forwarding because he wants his traffic to go mm. rep than myself. So 
all of this is sort of in the protocol. Yeah, but it's, yeah. And it's I'm, yeah. I'm really what I'm trying to do is expose to the audience this this dramatic shift from right. You know, it's BGP amazing. works this way. Thou shalt go and learn the foot the twelve step program of packets. You know, make it into the rib if they conform nope. to these twelve rules and. The data format of the BGP packet is this, and it's rigidly defined, and it will never change in our lifetimes. And you know, you memorize it, and away you go. What we're really talking about here is much more of a software-driven approach, which is very API-centric. If you're into APIs, which is the API is self-describing. That is, it can change. You can actually carry data in the API request, which says this is the way I'm going to be formatted. So you won't be able to sit down and memorize. You won't be asked questions on a test about what's the structure of the API request for an I2RS. That's right. You'll be asked to think about what you really want. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so a ra- that's that I think is a radical change. But it's yes. one that's way overdue, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, this is the whole excitement that I got into it. You can't live in 1995 for a long time. You've got to come into this uh, cent- uh, millennium hmm. in this century because our applications are going to. Co- you know, there's yeah. applications come, live, die in a different world, and if we can't do it. The, if, the, if the network can't support it, we start limiting ourselves and limiting what the applications yes. can do. To we need society. our networks to be more flexible. Well, we need more bandwidth, but sometimes we need smarter bandwidth. And the problem is today that with the tools that we have to make smart bandwidth, you know, to throttle it off or to add more or to quash policy, are very limited. They're like an axe that sort of hacks through the. Well, <laughs> and, and they're the same axe for everything. Yeah, that's it. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to kill a mosquito or cut down a tree. You're still using the same axe. Instead, yeah. <laughs> instead of having an infinitely tunable laser yes. that cuts precisely, and that's what we're trying to give. Give people a laser instead of going and giving them an axe. Yeah, and, and then they is, can use it any way that they want. And maybe, we, and and then we can have things coming out of this that are flexible and can change over time. It's not like it's. A, so today we have an immutable architecture in networking. It's fixed. BGP, OSP, FIS says this is what we can do, and that's it. You can't not do any of those things. You can't choose not to do those things unless you... And and this flexibility allows us to start making our infrastructure mutable, is what they often talk about it in infrastructure architecture terms, and that I can reprogram it to act differently in some... You know, the limitations of the silicon remain, the limitations of pathing remain the same. The network graph doesn't change. There's only so many ways you can... Ah, now there's where I'm going to pop into another subject. Right. Because that's one of the things we started out with. It's it's just to replace the FIB. And one thing that Mm. Russ and I are still having lots of discussion about is people suddenly discovered that when they changed the, the, the forwarding plane, the FIB... They wanted more information about what topology was actually there. They wanted to grow the topology mm. by learning it, again, learning it from OSPF or BGP, and then start changing it from the top down. So this ultimate flexibility of combining okay. what they've learned. Yeah, so I haven't been thinking about topology discovery. The answer is, you know, what does the right. network look right. like? So there's a telemetry part to this, discovering mm. your topology, building overlays is also another piece of it. So there's like three distinct parts to I2RS. The first part is this rib interface. The second piece is telemetry, not just from the rib, but understanding your topology better without having to go into BGPLS or something like that to discover from the routing side what it is. Mm. You actually get it out of the rib, so you see the final result of your policies. And the third thing is, um, you know, just being able to do these overlay networks in a more efficient way. So there's actually three pieces to this 
that have come out, which is actually one of the problems we run into in, in the I2S working group. One of the problems as far as having too much flexibility well no having too many goals sometimes yeah, well, yeah this is it, what happens when you get to a flexible outcome right people start imagining that their outcome is the outcome that you intended and so, so our real you know we did start with just we're going to do a rib and a and a filter rib which is you know mm. the rib that sticks it in and then the problem is people started to use it and then they said but i need x i need to know what i need to know this telemetry information yep. and they're building stuff actually in a variety of uh, vendors and in open source for o- ODL with this topology. And yep. what they found is they changed the rib and they changed the filter rib. And then they wanted to know, did it work? <laughs> you know, like, well, I changed it. And, and the old tools weren't re- reactive enough. So this group went off and said, I really want to do this topology and I want to learn a quick topology and then... I want to build it up. I want to build it up from mm. the information I have into some virtual topology. So we're really, you know, it's sort of the virtue of success. Suddenly people who got it said, ah, yeah. how am I going to manage it? They see how powerful it is. And so yeah. that is one of the things we've been working on this week and I've been discussing in what we call the hallway conversation. So yeah. you do what with it now when you get the topology? And, <laughs> and you're going like, oh, to, my. <laughs> and, and actually, that's the first one they want. They, they feel the rib is there and, and ready, mm. and, 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 but they really, really want this telemetry information, which is interesting. You find that the, the proponents of... We are, okay, so my view on that is we have not had good telemetry in networking. I just you don't get good enough visibility. I don't get granular control. Like, so for example, um, SNMP is fine as so far as it goes, but I don't get enough information out of the BGP protocol. I can't to let believe me you just it. said SNMP is fine. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna like, die now. I should have given a bit of my history. Here's where you're really gonna get into trouble because when SNMP was first proposed for the NSF net, I was the um, reviewer because I worked with an mm. alternate ISO protocol called um, Common Management Interface Protocol, CMIP. which had was data model driven. <laughs> and they said, it's too much to code with data model. I'm like, no, yeah. that's going to last forever. And it's easier to code. It's a data structure you just talked about. SNMP said, no, no, that's too complex. Yeah. Here we are. We don't have MIBs because they were too hard to write because they tried to write them simple mm. instead of taking data structure. So yeah. I'm sorry. So what I'm saying is my point was you can pull stuff with SNMP, but it doesn't go far enough, right? It doesn't. It's just you pull a variable, but you don't even know what the variable is, whether it's a text attribute or... Yeah, a, right. You know, it's not really machine-readable in, no, in a real sense. No, it's not machine-readable. It doesn't have the flexible, as we've talked about, the flexible uh, um, yeah. XML and data definition. And it also gives vendors an excuse not to implement it, right? Because if they choose not to implement SNMP, nobody criticizes them for not adding decent MIBs or enough instrumentation. We just suck it up and say, well, that's all it is, because SNMP is fundamentally a static data structure. Yes, and my my problem is, look how bad that's getting us. Uh, that that's that's brought us a world where we can't manage, and we we where the need for telemetry is so desperate yes. that you have people, you know, here we're giving them a new interface <laughs> to the forwarding, and they're just like, oh. we we have products capturing every single packet in your network so that we can analyze them. 
That's where we're at for telemetry right now. People are actually doing full packet capture at line rate so they can analyze, get telemetry about their network. And if you go to your corner show floor for any networking conference, you'll find about 50% of the vendors are doing nothing but mapping your networks. That's how bad telemetry is today. It, mm. It's just... So, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the good and the bad side of R2S and topology. We've suddenly given them a way to do it easily, and it's, it's exploding through the, the standardization here. Our base model from R2S made so much sense that it went to the traffic engineering groups but it's because there's a desperate need. And, you know, if I had a, if I had a little button that said die SNMP die, it would be my favorite. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, what I meant by SNMP is it's, it, it goes, right? We have it, it kind of works, but it's not good enough anymore. So it's kind of things moving on. So let's talk about some of the challenges, Sue. Yep. Other than, other than we've talked a little bit about how we have this thing where it's grown out of bounds and we have lots of purposes going on, which has created some issues and confusion and stuff like this. I think for me, the biggest issue or the biggest challenge I think I2S faces is that getting to near real time, beyond vendor support, vendors, vendors, you know, vendor support is always an issue with this type of thing, just like it was with SNMP MIBS and getting vendors to, to step up to the plate and say, I understand why you're doing this and, and you know, things like that as as we've seen many times, complexity sells, and yeah. it's very hard to convince people sometimes to simplify things. So that's one issue that we face, or one challenge, I shouldn't say issue, but one challenge we face in I2RS is that, you know, we're kind of stepping in some people's toes here and trying to make something simpler that isn't necessarily wanted to be simple. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, there's some challenges People have here. an inherent love, especially network engineers have an inherent love of making things complicated. I yes. think, you know, yes. like... Right. But then often we've been trained that way. Like the last 20 years has been about complexity. Right. Managing complexity when it, to some but extent, wasn't needed. Yeah, we, we love to nerd out. We love to nerd out. The problem is nerding out has cost us so much money yeah. that, that operators have an upside-down budget, right? They mm. spend too much on complex equipment that they then spend too much on to find the telemetry on that they then can't really spend enough to... To balance their budget. They have to go yeah. hire a bunch of CCIEs to run, do they? Sorry, that's I shouldn't it. have said that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, right? It is true. It's it is absolutely true. You know, and, then, and then you talk to people who run those networks and they're bored out of their mind. Yes. Because they spend most of their time sitting around waiting for something critical to happen. Where, right. where if you have this different type of model, then you're... You sit around writing programs, yes, looking for things, and then that scales, right? The human being sitting in front of a tube, it, it, that person eats, sleeps, but a program, you know, last I know, slavery of programs is still uh, okay. They, they, they work all day and night, Yep, and yeah. it's important. So I think the second challenge we're going to face with any sort of model-driven thing like this, which, by the way, it's in, it's in Yang, hmm. and there are two sorts of transports available right now, but you're not restricted to those transports. I mean, there's NetConf and RestConf, but um, many people are looking at driving this in ZeroMQ and looking at driving this in Kafka and other hmm. places. It's just a Yang model that can be wrapped up or converted to JSON right. and wrapped up and marshaled in any sort of transport you want and pushed to the router as long as there's an agent on that router that understands how to read that model and convert it into a rib call. Yeah. Um, but anytime you do that, you run into performance problems. And that's kind of goes back to the whole key point of I'm not trying to replace the routing protocol. I'm trying to augment it. Yeah. Because 
realistically, there's no way I can, can replace the, the, the routing protocol with a Yang uh, model that's driven through RESTCOMP, through RESTful interface calls, yeah. onto a router. I just can't install routes fast enough. So, well, that's, so this comes down to, again, the device itself. You can only put entries into the TCAM at such and such a rate. Right. TCAM fib. Yes. Exactly. Right? For example, for hardware devices. And today, they're actually often quite slow. Right, because we didn't need to add five thousand entries to a fib in a second, because you couldn't even get five thousand routes into a BGP rib. You know, so this is a new yeah, requirement: right. is speed of updating the fib, because you might want to add something, delete something from the fib at microsecond intervals. But remember that I T S is actually back and, at the you know, rib, disturbed. Yeah. so you're actually. Going two steps back, you've actually got to take this Yang or JSON model, convert it into a rib call, then the rib has to process it, mm. convert it into a FIB um, interprocess communication call into yeah. the FIB. So you're actually like two steps back even from the rib rate of yes. speed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are some major performance um not concerns or issues, but just the way that you have to look at this is you have to look at this more as I'm not going to replace my routing protocol because I'm just not going to get the performance that you really you want may, to. You may over time be able to... Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe in a couple of years. Yeah, right. Maybe augment it by hardware, but you shouldn't plan for that. You should plan for the speed that you have now. Yeah, right. But that's well, not, I guess the thing in my mind is in my... You know, I know how slow some TCAMs are, and I'm sort of hoping that the data model has a thing which says, I can only accept so many new entries per second or per minute or something. Do you know what I mean? So that you can actually... If, so if you keep hammering it, so one of the mistakes I've learned with APIs is that you do something on an API and then they throttle you, but they don't send you an error message when they throttle you. Right. You know. And and now now you came to a really good part mm. of IRQS that we hope will go into even the TCAMP. One of the things that we we required, and and again we required it of of changes to NetConf and RESTConf as a beginning, but any protocol has to be able to have fast event. Notification. Because yes. it does this, say in the I2S draft, it has to be low latency. It says right up there in the front. Yeah, low latency and also the ability to quickly say, you put in something that doesn't work. I, I put in a, a, a next top that's going off through an MPLS network. I don't have it. So yeah. send me back a response so I can change quickly. An error message or an, an error alert. message. Or so as you were just saying, we need that quick error message. We need the reporting. And we also need traceability. You know, if you're going to do these short-term pieces, um, yep. you want to trace it. You may want to augment the stuff. Both of those were additions that were not currently in any of the I ITS management protocols. Right. Getting all of that to work the right way mm -hmm. is a process. Yeah. But it's a good direction. So and let's let's talk about where I2RS is with the ITF drafts process, right? Uh, you're the working group chair. You're shepherding these RFCs through the process. Do uh, is we are, are, there, are they standards track? Are they informational? Are they released? It's an interesting adventure, and then I'll I'll give you a little bit more fun. Okay. I2S was was uh, targeted to be a reuse protocol. Right. In other words, reuse and extend NetConf, ResComp, whatever protocols. So we didn't have to build from the the bottom up. Not less cost. The difficulty in that is organizational. So what I2S has done is specified all of its requirements, and we're at the end of the requirement stage. The good part of that is, as Russ says, okay, we've had the requirements, nice to NetConf, ResComp, but if 
Google Protocol buffers or mm -hmm. something else works the same, as long as they add all the things, you can. So you it's could a easily, data model. It doesn't. The protocol right. really. So whether it's Yang or Net, so Yang is the data model. Yang right? is the data model. So whether you're using NetConf or RESTConf to transmit the Yang or, data model or between or CRMQ or Kafka or, or whatever, whatever you want. But to. and gRPC or Google's right. Uh, it, doesn't it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as you provide the functionality. And what that does is it allows innovation to to fly or people uh. to have particular things yeah. that they might want to uh, fit better in their own network environment. So the people, so I could start making my own Yang data model that might suit my specific need, or we might see Facebook start to build and release, and you know, and companies like LinkedIn and Facebook release their own Yang models for manipulating data centers. But Google might start to say these are the ways we think I2RS could be used in the WAN. So, so, so long as the ribs, so long as you can get into the rib in a way that allows you to do those things. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. So we could see some open source tools coming out from... So we've seen a lot of open source tools come out for... There already know, are. There's OpenConf is already yeah. available. Mm -hmm. And um, this is not ITR specifically, but like the Yang models with OpenConf are very similar to what we're working uh, and, on. And OpenConf. And then uh, this week we had a hackathon where we're working on open source code for an open source daemon called Quagga. Mm. The topology stuff we talked about was actually done for ODL. Yeah, for operators who wanted to experience uh, to play with ODL, and they've got applications on top of it. So you're seeing that sort of innovation. Right. I mean, the thing about not tying it down to a specific protocol, but making it data-driven and saying any protocol that does this. Yeah. So RFCs are published, or they're still in draft? We have four RFCs for the requirements published, and we're down to our last one. We're down right. to our last two. Uh, those are... Um, probably going to go off to the publication right. within the next two to three weeks. Great. And then from there, the I2R standard will then iterate into what? It'll iterate uh, first to NetConf, and then once we've uh, tested the waters with our requirements, there are these other protocols that as soon as they mm. say, I can do these requirements, if well, they want standardization, all they have to do is stand up and say, I can do X, Y, Z, and we'll... Well, we'll we're also standardizing not just the... We're not just doing requirements. We're also standardizing the actual models. That's right. Right, right. the Yang models. But, the Yang model. Uh, excuse me. I, I thought he was asking specifically about the protocol. Yeah. Now, the Yang models, we're starting to send the Yang models toward standardization. Yeah. And again, the per person who's pushing us is the topology models because the telemetry is so... Yes. Need. The rest are, are going through open source implementation, and I think we'll see them within uh, three to so six months. So some of these data models will come out of open source projects and then come to the IETF for... And then go back to the open source projects. Yeah. And that's, that's creative. That's, yep. That says we've tested it. Now, as, as Russ was saying earlier, when you get to some vendor's implementations, they may be able to speed them up more yep. than the open source. Hmm. Right. Yep. So usable today. There's usable implementations out there now. There's rough consensus on running code. If you if you run uh, an ODL um, model and you start your ODL system up, yep. It the way that it discovers all the topologies of the ODLs is IR2S. Okay. It's, it's and that's been out for a year and a half. So if right. you if you're using that system, off you go. You're already there. You're, you're there. there. So this is not. A, so I guess my point is that there's a lot of 
ITF RFC drafts, they don't go anywhere. They're published, but nobody really uses them or they don't achieve a critical mass or adoption inside of the industry. But ITORS has some legs already. Has, has gotten that, and it's because we're meeting a need. Now, little, uh, I am, I am um, as an ITF chair, I said I did BGP for a long time, but mm. BGP is one of the few working groups in the ITF that requires two implementation and significant fielding. Right. So I have from that background a prejudice of it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make help stuff us. Up. Why am yeah. I doing standards if it isn't changing the way people operate? Yeah, don't write white papers that nobody reads. Or nobody well, I do uses a white paper. Yeah. I'm not, I have a sh- too short of life to write white papers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think we've pretty much hit the limits of how far we can take I2RS. Now, there's a bunch of RFC drafts. I will um, put some of those links into the show notes if you want to start reading, especially the primary use case one, which is pretty well written, by the way. I actually read it um, as prep for the show to try and get my grip, mental grip around the... Uh, you know, the, 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 what the ITORS is. So go and have a read of that. It is actually quite readable. It's not an arcane, except for the beautiful ASCII pictures. It'd be nice to actually have, you know, like some pictures that don't look like they came from 1965. But, it, you know, you can get those. They're not bad. They're not bad. They're just, they're not just, you know, yeah. modern. But maybe I'm whining about nothing. So well, thanks. Russ and I uh, earlier wrote a, 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 a uh, triple e paper that has uh mm. pictures so we can send you that one <laughs> nice pictures that we that'd be published. great actually if you've got a pdf or some sort of a background of paper we can get that into the thing for people to listen to so thank you so much where can people find you on the internet you can find me on the internet at uh shairs at ndzh.com mm-hmm. or just look up at the itf and look at one of the working groups i2rs or mm. uh, idr and there i am fantastic just Drop me a note because the best thing I can do is talk about this with someone or someone new. And, and uh, you do have a LinkedIn profile, right, sir? I have a LinkedIn profile. I mean, I profile. have to ask. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just have you to have ask. to ask. <laughs> you know, I hide out for more people, but yes, I do have a LinkedIn protocol. Wow, and I'm, I and uh, like me on Facebook as well. And if you want my Twitter account, we can get that too. Okay, great. So, uh, Russ, I'm at, on LinkedIn, of course. I yes. mean, where else would I be? I put my Facebook account to sleep. Did you? I yeah. can understand yeah. why. I can yeah. understand that. It's, it's, Once it's you snoring. get to LinkedIn, it's, <laughs> it's I, I, snoring. I, 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 d- I deleted the Facebook app from my phone recently, and my battery life jumped by at least 30 or 40%. Wow. I can believe Just that. By, and Look LinkedIn that. app was the same. Well, I'm not yeah. going to talk about the LinkedIn <laughs> app with you. But I didn't anyway, say that out loud, did you, I? That's okay. <laughs> I don't work on the app. I just work on the network. Um, and you can find me at rule11.us. Fantastic. And also as part of the prep for this show, I read Russ's book on network complexity, which you co-wrote with Jeff Oh, someone actually read it. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'm astounded. There you go. And uh, there was quite a good section um, that didn't just talk about I2RS alone. It actually sort of leads right up to the pathway that got us to I2RS. As always, I'm Greg Farrow. You can find me on my blog at etherealmind.com and on the Twitters is at etherealmind. This has been a Packet Pushers podcast. You can find more about the show and this podcast and other fine free technical podcasts on packetpushers.net. We'd love to see you come by. You can subscribe to the show, find out more about our newsletters and uh, join in the community that we've built up around the podcast. As always, remember that too much networking would never be enough.